Hello, hello, and welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto. And today, I'm sitting here outside of the Airstream, actually not inside, in Whistler, British Columbia. And uh, the share link to take. Public. All right. Um, let's add some people here. Sweet. All right, let's start this again. Hello, hello. I'm Roberto from The Expeditioners. I'm your show host, and I'm coming to you from the forest today. Indeed, I'm sitting outside of my Airstream on a beautiful May day here in Whistler, British Columbia. For those that don't know where Whistler is, it is in um, Canada, and uh, it is in the province of BC, British Columbia. And this province finds itself all the way on the west coast of Canada. And for, uh, for many people in, in Canada, it's known to be one of the more expensive provinces to live in. Indeed, they say that either, uh, that BC means bring cash because taxes are high, cost of living is high, property is expensive, condos are expensive, but it is indeed, as they also like to say, BC is the best coast. Because... We've got towering trees. We've got verdant forests. You've got the ocean that you can go see orcas. You've got um, lakes, rivers, streams. There are whitewater kayakers. And you have some of the most renowned skiing in the entire world. And, uh, and it's a place that after traveling around the world and after crossing all of our dear country known as Canada, I stumbled upon and said to myself, you know what? This will do just fine. Indeed, when we first crossed Canada, I did not know where we were going to settle down and live. And after arriving to Whistler, uh, a town of only uh, 13,000 locals, but that receives up to 20,000 locals in, uh, visitors in a day, I said to myself, you know, wouldn't this be a spectacular place to live? And, uh, and indeed, it is. And that's why <laughs> I'm here. Um, so a few things here. I'm just checking some of the specs here. Um, tweeting the room and, uh, and letting people know that, hey, I'm live. Because, you know, if you don't tell them, then they won't know. And, um, and so I want to tell you a little bit about this province. It's, uh, it's a place where um, Whistler Blackcomb is located. And that is one of the most um, well-known uh, ski resorts in the world. Um, I'm currently getting bitten by mosquitoes because it is the season um, when mosquitoes start to spawn. And, um, and it is a place where you can see the northern lights if you are north enough. Uh, it is a place that rains a lot as well. Vancouver is known as Raincouver as well. And uh, because of that, <laughs> I am going to head into the Airstream because it is beginning to drizzle out here. Um, and I wanted to share more about this province with you, but I have to reset myself up here and sit down and then be all ready. All right, we're all set once again here. And, um, and I just wanted to tell you, you know, like it's a, it's a destination that's also known for its extravagant, assorted, and wonderful strains of marijuana. Um, a lot of people, when you tell them, hey, I come from BC um, over the years, 
uh, when I've traveled all over the world, a lot of them would say to me, oh, wow, wow, that's uh, BC Bud. It's the best weed in the world. <laughs> and one of the reasons that British Columbia is known for its weed is because it exports, uh, or it used to as far as I know, uh, a fair bit of it down south to the Americanos that live just south of the border. And another thing that made it such a haven for growers is that there's so many places in British Columbia where people can grow weed without getting caught or seen. Because with towering forests and verdant trees and plenty of wilderness landscape, well, it's pretty easy to find yourself a spot where you can grow your plant. Now, for, for a big chunk of the last, I'd say, 30, 40 years, it's been one of the provinces that most supplied marijuana to the rest of Canada. And, uh, and for that reason as well, it was renowned for being a grower's paradise. But for those unaware, we are just about shy of a year or a little, little bit more than that, maybe two years now, where marijuana has become legal in this wonderful country of ours and so now instead of having to go down the block find your shadiest looking guy you can simply walk into a store have old granny behind the counter tell you of all the delicacies that are available and therefore get your your butt so times have a changed and from what i understand a lot of the weed growers are very disappointed at the legalization simply because um, it's brought the prices down a lot. You know, when you have uh, big kahunas come into the game and, and uh, you know, there's companies even like Corona from Mexico uh, is investing in, in grow-ups, then, then there ends up being a surplus on the market. And when your local buyers are suddenly able to go down the block to uh, a store where they have everything laid out to them in a just a a la carte kind of way, then it makes it very difficult for them to make a living as they used to. So it has been a time of change and up, upheaval for the marijuana growers in British Columbia. But Canada is still known as being one of the best places to find yourself a good spliff. And, um, and the stores now are, are abundant, you know. Sure, when I'm driving through Washington State in, in the U.S., I see more stores... And then I see liquor, more weed stores than I see liquor stores and more, um, more weed stores than I see even like grocery stores sometimes. But in Canada, we do have some regulations as to where you can have a store uh, and where you can't. And, uh, and, you know, to be a certain distance from schools and not to have too many stores in a certain area and whatnot. And I think that's helped um, make it a little bit more, how to say this, but uh, a little bit easier for, for people to to uh, allow this uh, new market to come into the world. And I think I've been quite shocked and interested to see that, you know, for so many years, people used to be so scared of getting caught with a spliff on them or, or, uh, or a gram of weed. And, and it was such a terrible thing. And, um, and you could get a criminal record, which would not allow you to travel and things like that. And that used to be, you know, quite, uh, quite worrisome. Um, and it's so it's such a like strange get good way now that you just don't care about those things because it's legal and there's it's no different than having uh, a beer in your car or, or whatnot. Um, granted, so long as you're not driving at the same time. And, you know, it's just it's been really interesting to see how this has 
change in, in marijuana culture has really, in many ways, nothing changed except the legality of the issue and putting people in jail that didn't deserve it. So, so it's really nice to see that you know, it's something that had actually been accepted for a long time already. Um, and now uh, it's just normal, you know? So uh, I, I like to, to tell my friends and here and there and say, you know, this is just Canadian coffee, <laughs> as we call it. But there we go. There's the stream of consciousness, a little bit on marijuana in British Columbia, a grow-ops paradise. Um, but moving along into something that is in some ways a contrast and in some ways simply the same, let's go into uh, sports here in British Columbia and, and backcountry sports in particular because it is the reason I decided to live here is that it's a paradise for those that enjoy the outdoors, that want to go mountain biking and hiking and skiing and whatnot. And yesterday I did one of my favorite rides, um, which is a ride here in Whistler, which goes from, uh, it's called Chequemus Lake. And you take a seven-kilometer forestry road uh, near Function Junction, which is the, the south part of Whistler, and you drive up that road to the trailhead, excuse me, need a sip of coffee, and uh, not the Canadian coffee, the regular one. <laughs> and you're, you're, you, you go along this road, and on, on yesterday's drive, I saw six black bears, um, a mother and three cubs, and uh, another mother and a couple of cubs. And um, that would be six, yes, three, six, a mother, and, a mother and three, so seven, sorry, I saw seven bears yesterday. And so that was really neat to see. Um, and, uh, I'm currently living at the Whistler RV park. Uh, sorry, not the Whistler RV park, the Whistler Calcheck campground because, well, going through a divorce and whatnot. So anyways, but I digress, I digress. I'm, uh, I'm on this forestry road and I see a bunch of bears and stop along the way and take some photos and videos. And of course, um, I usually have my bear spray in my backpack for mountain biking so that in case I was to encounter one, then I'd be able to spray them away, as they say. Um, but um, I didn't have one. And so that was, uh, you know, intriguing because I had seen a lot of bears already. And, and I think due to the pandemic, bears have been coming a lot closer and a lot nearer to humans than they used to. And that's, that's quite nice to see because in many ways, we've let the population rebound back to how it used to be before we encroached on their terrain. So anyways, I digress. Uh, get to the trailhead and uh, grab my bike and, uh, and get on the trail to head down to Chequemus Lake. The beginning of the lake is uh, about three and a half kilometers. The end of the lake is seven kilometers. Now, each winter, each winter, each winter, there's a ton of trees that fall with the weight of the snow um, that topples them down. And there's a lot of cottonwood trees as well that, um, that come down. So... As I made my way, I found uh, a few spots where I had to carry my bike over a tree or under a trunk. And if you head over to um, my Instagram page, The Expeditioners, then you can check on the stories. And you'll see how some of these trees in diameter are like more than a meter uh, plus wide. And it's quite impressive to see. Um, the trail is single track and um, for some of the way, but most of the way, it's, uh, it's about two feet wide. And it's really lovely as you whip down these old growth forests and then you get to what's known as Chequemus Lake and this lake has a reflection in the morning that is just absolutely mind-boggling because you've got a chain of three mountains at the back of the lake that reflect onto the lake and it just looks absolutely vivid and spectacular 
And as the day progresses um, and the sun kicks up above the horizon, the lake turns from a uh, light blue color to an emerald green. And this is when the majesty of the lake is finally seen because as this hue of, of green really becomes quite vivid, um, you really get the essence that you're uh, in a glacial lake. And it is a glacial-fed lake, and it's uh, down in the valley uh, below Whistler Blackcomb. And from up high, um, when you're hiking on Whistler Blackcomb, you can see it, and it is beautiful. And so I was making my way along, and I was whipping pretty fast. And, you know, truth be told, I haven't been riding that much this year. And I clipped, I think, a rock, or it was a stump, but uh, with some pretty decent speed there. Um, and for the rest of the ride, I just my gears were just not shifting as they should be. And when you're riding a $10,000 bike, you're like, hey, why are my gears not shifting as they should be? Um, so about three-quarters of the way to my destination point, there were two things hmm. that made me turn around. The first being that um, that I realized that the, something was up with my uh, gear shifter and, um, and my derailleur. And uh, so I tried to look at it, and it looked like it was a bit bent or whatnot. So I tried to bend it myself, but obviously that didn't work. And then the second was, as a father or even a divorced father will now be able to tell you, it's I looked at my watch and realized that I would be late if I continued going at that speed to pick up my daughter from her daycare. And you don't want to do that. Not with Catalina, who will scream at the top of her lungs of, why is daddy not arrived? And um, and so I turned around and headed back. And indeed, when I got back to town, well, I saw three more bears along my way back. And then when I did get back to town, I dropped my bike off at the local bike shop. And, um, and indeed, I had uh, banged up my derailleur. So I'll be picking that up in the next uh, six or so hours and uh, to a nice cost of $200. Um, but that's the name of the game when it comes to sports. And one of the really neat things about British Columbia, and particularly this area, is that it's also not only known to be uh, a paradise for skiing, but it is indeed also a paradise for mountain biking. And obviously there's you can bike on the mountain, and a lot of people come from all over the world to come bike in the bike park. But there are endless amounts of trails that crisscross the edges of Whistler and the even the interior of, of the town sometimes. You can hop on the valley trail and hop off to grab some single track. And you can grab anything from two feet wide to to a uh, single track lane, right? Now, on the bike topic, you know, as uh, many of you are aware, I'm going through a divorce right now. And um, my ex um, decided to go do some trails that were perhaps not what she would be, uh, or not trails that she was ready for. And so she went with her friend, Dev, and I think that she was getting pushed perhaps a little bit too hard on trying to do some uh, a route that perhaps she was not capable of doing yet. And she went over the handlebars, and, um, and she ended up um, dislocating her right elbow. You know, because nobody needs their right arm, right? Like, seriously. Uh, right elbow and cracking the bone in two or three different places. And on top of that, a hairline fracture on her left elbow as well. 
now you're thinking to yourself, well, what was she doing? She was probably doing um, a steep section that she shouldn't have been doing. And there's a reason why in 15 years she hasn't hurt herself as so on an adventure with me. It's because you always have to measure the trails you're doing and know when to get off or, or when to attempt something. But when you're a mother of three from the ages of five down to ten months, then perhaps you shouldn't be doing something that pushes your limits to the degree where you could hurt yourself. Um, so I know she's feeling terrible enough as it is, so I won't add to that, but I did want, it was a proper tangent from mountain biking trails uh, in Whistler to, to that. And of course, it's front of mind because she is currently in Vancouver at Lionsgate Hospital having surgery done um, on, her, on her arm um, in the hopes that they don't have to replace uh, the elbow. So keep it safe out there. You know, in, at, the, at the clinic here, they, they're accustomed to seeing this type of injury. It's a very strange or different or rare injury when it comes to the cities because people don't tend to be going flying over their handlebars uh, on a daily, uh, on the daily. Whereas in Whistler, because there's so many mountain bikers and bikers, they do tend, that does tend to be an accident that happens more uh, frequently. Uh, on that note, Whistler also uh, is known to be one of the bike theft capitals of the world, literally. Um, more bikes stolen here per capita than so many other places. And the reason is that we all have very, very expensive bikes because to be riding a very nice carbon lightweight bike that's made for this type of terrain is a delight. The bike flows over rocks and roots and brambles and gets you to places like Alpine Lakes and where you say to yourself, well, this is why I ride. And many people, and actually if you look around uh, Whistler when you're driving, you'll see that a lot of the bikes on the back of cars are worth more than the car is. And that's because Whistler's a destination where people came to live here not because they were looking to make a massive income, but more so because they chose this place as the type of place that you could live a wonderful life irrelevant of your income. So it's a lifestyle destination more than anything else. And, and you know, there's... There's the old adage or old story that you'll meet um, a taxi driver who actually happens to be um, an aerospace engineer, but who spends his days in the summer riding and his evenings driving, and in the in the winter time is uh, is skiing during the day and driving at night. Hey, excuse me. I need myself a good sip of coffee here. Mm, excuse me. Mm. So. Fantastic, fantastic destination um, for riding and biking. And really, yes, indeed, people do move here uh, because of that lifestyle. You know, I've got three little ones. My five-year-old last year had did 120 days of mountain bike camp. Uh, my daughter, this past winter, did two days a week of ski school. And she is only three years old. And she is a ripper on those skis, you know, uh, like it's impressive uh, granted she is the second child that you tend to be much more lenient and relaxed about than you're on the first so let's jump to that tangent because i could keep going on all the different sports that you could do here um like i'm looking out my airstream window at the chequemus river and right at the beginning of this campground there's uh a lot of whitewater kayakers that uh that 
put in or put out from their adventure there. And uh, and the paddling is, is divine. But I was going to jump on the tangent of children. And there's a few things on my mind. Um, first and foremost, obviously, going through this divorce, it's so difficult to conceptualize what they're feeling and seeing that daddy doesn't stay at home anymore. He just comes and picks them up and takes them places. And they come stay at the Airstream with me. And, and it is, you know, for if it's difficult enough for me to be going through all these changes, then I can only imagine how it is for them to go through these things in their little minds. Um, and, I, and, you know, and I hurt for that. I, I really do hurt for um, knowing that these changes of mommy and daddy not living together anymore and living in different places is, uh, is something that, um, that for sure I need to um, balance out on the other side um, by creating uh, a wonderful life for them and giving them extraordinary amounts of love. And I think that is the key to a well, happy, and balanced child, is giving so much love. Um, and that's been the key for, for us raising uh, the little ones. It's just they've got an abundant amount of love given to them, and, and it really changes their characters. And so many people tend to say, how is it that your kids are so relaxed and so adventurous and so happy and smiling? And I... And I cut it down to um, basically they've never felt that they insecure because they always felt that mommy or daddy were around and that we were protecting them and taking care of them and we've co-slept. And those types of things make a child at a very early age be very comfortable and well aware of, of life in a way that it's meant to be enjoyed and it's meant to be uh, make you feel good and whatnot. And I do, I do tip my hat to my ex-wife uh, for being um, fantastic uh, when it comes to the journey. Well, a fantastic mother. There's no question about that. But, um, but also in her breastfeeding journey with the kids, because having breastfed each of the kids until uh, two, well, our third one's only ten, ten months now, but the other two until two, I think it also gave the kids uh, a fantastic sense of security. Um, and and tons of skin to skin, obviously, and the co-sleeping also uh, feeling like they're never abandoned. And scientists have, uh, and researchers have often shown that um, the first five years of a child's development are tantamount when it comes to that child's future psyche. Meaning, if you're uh, helped your kid be relaxed and jovial between the ages of one and five, then perhaps they will be so for the rest of their lives. If they experience trauma between those ages, then then that trauma also stays with them forever. And I think that's what concerns me now, that while my kids haven't experienced trauma, um, they have seen mommy cry, they have seen daddy cry, they've seen us obviously be upset uh, in the last few months uh, about what's going on. And and I've always been a big proponent of never arguing, never discussing, never anything in front of the kids. But as life goes, you can't, you don't end up being as perfect as you wish you could be. Although I never saw my parents argue. Um, and that's pretty cool. On my ex-wife, on the other hand, she saw her parents argue plenty. So we came from two very different worlds there. But, um, but I do think that, uh, that the kids because of all the love we've always given them, because of all the travels they've gone on, and because they've always been around mommy and daddy, I think they feel very, very secure. And, uh, and I guess I'm most concerned about Katayina right now, which is my middle uh, child, 
because um, she, she, I think, is feeling the change the most and is often, often asking for daddy. So as soon as this podcast finishes, I'll be heading out to pick her up from her bike camp. Um, so that's the children thing. And a lot of people say, you know, how do you take your kids in the outdoors uh, safely? And, and I think it's by giving them a certain measure of, you know, everything is going to be just fine as long as you uh, just give it a try. I'm there to catch you if you need it, but um, but most importantly of all, just give it a try. And uh, and always, you know, I call Katarina. I, I say that she thinks I'm the hand of God because in so many scenarios, she's about to plunge into the river or fall into the lake or whatever it may be. And I literally just reach out and grab her. Actually, when she was learning to swim, yeah, she's a full swimmer now, um, and she would jump in the pool. That's how I would take her out. She would not be able to swim, and then this hand of God would reach down into the water and pluck her from from uh, from the pool. And she would always be like, oh, I was expecting that. <laughs> so, um, But in the forest, you know, one of the things that I, I've seen that makes my kids very sure-footed is that we're often and constantly playing in the outdoors. And this makes them be very aware of terrain that's varied and unstable and walking on logs and things as such. Um, and it makes them just very sure-footed. And I, and I think that's fantastic because in places like Mexico where you can't take your kids into the outdoors um, because of safety concerns and you live in a the city, then they, they actually have these like in their interior gyms where kids kind of learn, uh, kind of learn a little bit to do like a, a a sense of parkour or uh, jumping and hiking, but in a very controlled environment with foam blocks everywhere where if the kid falls, he can't bang his head and there's no sharp edges. And yet here in the forest, just looking out the Airstream door, you, I could see, you know, 10 sticks that if your kid falls on the wrong way, they're impaled and, um, and lots of sharp edges of trees and branches. But by being with your kids in the outdoors, and by them frequently attacking or being in this terrain, I think they begin to be very aware uh, of their surroundings and their, those dangers uh, that involve these surroundings um, and makes them just much more athletic and, and conscious. Um, indeed, my daughter will jump into the freezing cold river time and time again um, on the part where it's not moving fast. And it seems like the cold... Oh, just doesn't bother her, but um, but then she does it over and over again. <laughs> and so, so I think, you know, that's one of the things that uh, this community often talks about is that we have Whistler kids, which are kids that are very well adapted to the outdoors, that are uh, mountain biking and swimming at a very young age and hiking and doing activity, outdoor activities that, and other kids in the city just don't have the same opportunity. Um. What else on the stream of consciousness? Well, I am living in an Airstream. An Airstream is a camper that's uh, on wheels. I've got the smallest one. It's 16 foot. But after having it for you know so many, five years now, um, it still was a pretty penny. $95,000 if you take all the bells and whistles and add-ons and insurance and payments. Um, it was a pretty penny. And that being said, it has brought us so much happiness in our lifestyle. Um, it's uh, gone across Canada, across the U.S., up to the Northwest Territories. It's literally gone airborne, hitting uh, a bump. And, 
and it's a and and because it's so small i'm able to turn it uh do a u-turn on the highway and you know those small highways in certain places uh like canada or or i can park it in the city where i'm driving into in two parking spots um so a bunch of neat things like that that make it uh quite unique uh as a lifestyle vehicle and um you know it's uh it's definitely one of the best purchases i've made in my life that when we first got it the kids were often saying oh happy i'm so happy to be in happy and i really enjoy it and then they're so jovial and they'd be playing outside and they get cold and wet and they come in and we've got heating a hot shower we can make some food on the stove and so that um that combination i think made the kids quickly realize that that uh, happy was a safe haven and while i had thoughts of giving it a a really great quintessentially canadian name of igloo um in the end we ended up calling it happy because mickey would be so happy when he would come into it and actually he was the catalyst for us purchasing it because we would actually go back country camping out of a tent and then you get to the campground after that like the front country campground where you're parked with your car and and you're all wet and cold and you're still pretty miserable um but when you get back to your own little warm heated space hot shower uh, music uh nice bed and all of that then um then it ended up being uh, something uh, quite of a delight for the kids and i think they quickly realized this and so mikio was always so happy that we couldn't think of naming it anything else but happy now if you're looking to get an airstream camper uh, now it is probably the most difficult time to do so because the demand has been um, huge during the pandemic um, and this has been simply because um, so many people have been interested to get outdoors um, because they couldn't travel internationally and by having this uh, these campers you know they've literally been able to head out into nature and explore areas within their own backward country that they wouldn't have done totally. so if you're looking to get your hands on an airstream right now be expected to be waiting anywhere from two to three years isn't that crazy yes i think so too but the same applies to so much backcountry gear or adventure gear because even if you're looking to get a mountain bike right now um there's a big uh wait you know when i was in vancouver about a month and a bit ago and it's been really difficult to find the right sized bike for for Mikio and the right pedals and everything that he wanted uh for him to continue his his mountain biking journey and i walked into the three stores and all of them were sold out and when I walk into the fourth one, I say, hey, you know, that looks like pretty much what, what Mickey needs. He tries it. He says, yeah, that's great. The store's closing in five minutes. And without even flinching, I say, I'll take it. Because uh, I knew that it would be very difficult to get my hands on the, exactly the bike I needed, uh, like that one, when I needed it. And so Mickey got his bike. And off I went to Iceland. And also it was something that I wanted to get for him before my big trip to Iceland. Because I was away in the end for a month. And, uh, and obviously, while your children aren't aware that what you're traveling for is work, um, you do your best to make sure that they're always feeling loved. So I appreciate you tuning in onto my stream of consciousness today. I will be jumping in again to do another one later in the evening. So I hope you'll tap in. And I'm Roberto for the Expeditioners. Thank you for listening. And uh, so much evolution coming 
on these podcasts, so I, I hope you'll keep listening. Talk to you soon. Tao Tao for now.